We're going to be talking tonight about the words and works of wise women. And we're going to be looking at three different accounts in the gospel. And I want us to begin tonight in John chapter 2. Before we do that, I do want to re-emphasize the VBS that begins tomorrow night. We want to do everything that we can to make it a great week. We want to encourage our friends, our neighbors to come and to be a part of our VBS. I know that a lot of people have put an extraordinary amount of time and effort into getting the rooms ready and their lessons ready. And uh, tomorrow night, Brother Billy is teaching the class, I believe, on the lion's den. Is that correct? That's what I, that's what I thought. So anyway, if you are an adult and you want to be a part of that class, we would love to have you. And then Tuesday night, Isaiah is speaking. I'm not sure who's speaking Wednesday and Thursday night, but I know that uh, you'll want to come and be a part of that and hear them. I want us to think for a moment or two about the words and works of wise women. There are a lot of great men and women that we read about in the scriptures. And a lot of times we focus on some of the great and noble things that men have done. And while that's something that we ought to do from time to time, I think sometimes we forget about the noble endeavors, the wise words of godly women. And the Bible is replete with numerous women that made invaluable contributions to Almighty God's cause. We look back to the Old Testament and we think about some of the great saints of God, women like Sarah. Sarah was a great lady of faith. As a matter of fact, her name is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. I think about Ruth, Esther, Deborah. In the New Testament, again, we read about some extremely fine, godly women. And tonight I want us to think about three very specific women in the New Testament that I believe set a great example for us today. I want to begin by talking about the mother of Jesus. As we talk about the mother of Jesus, I would invite you to, to turn with me and read in John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And before we read this text, I want to just make this observation. How many times have you found yourself reading certain passages over and over and over again? And over a period of time, you have read and reread those passages, no telling how many times. And then all of a sudden, you read it one day or one evening, and you see something that you've never seen before. I was telling Brother Billy this morning, this past week I was reading John chapter 2, and I don't know how many times I've read John chapter 2. I try to read, I try to read through the gospel narratives uh, at least, well, I try to read one gospel narrative every month. So I was reading John chapter 2 the other day, and as I got to verse 5, I thought, how in the world did I ever miss this verse? Because in this verse, the mother of Jesus makes a statement that is so applicable to us today. And so look with me, if you would, at verse 1. John said, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. 
And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. And then verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now just let that sink in for a minute. Here is the mother of Jesus saying to the servants on this occasion, whatever Jesus says to do, do it. How many great lessons are there based on that one verse? We talk about the importance of putting into practice the teaching of Jesus Christ. And Jesus emphasized over and over again throughout his public ministry the importance of obedience to his will. Jesus would say in John chapter 14 that the proof of our love for him is obedience. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And here's the mother of Jesus, and she's saying to the servants, listen, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Whether we're young or old, black or white, rich or poor, educated, uneducated, doesn't matter. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, we need to do it. Think about all of the scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in which Jesus emphasizes certain spiritual truths. And really what he's saying is, just do it. Don't quibble about it. Don't argue about it. Just do it. Submit. Be willing to do what the Lord has said to do. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is predicated on our willingness to do the will of God. Only those who do the will of God will have the hope of heaven. Now having said that, let me just cite for you some things that Jesus said that we ought to be willing to do. I would begin by looking at John chapter 3. You remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs which you do unless God be with him. Jesus then said, Verily, verily, I say to you, or assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then asked the question, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus then said, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 7, here's what Jesus said. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. What's the Lord saying? He's saying, you want to be one of my children? You want to be a disciple of mine? Then you need to be born again. Think about how many people in our world today question the importance of the new birth. What is the new birth? It's being baptized into Christ. Baptism is preceded by faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. We have to come to understand and appreciate that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That's God. John would tell us in John, chapter, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
John here identifying Jesus as the eternal Logos, the Word who became flesh. And Jesus said we need to be born again. It's not optional. As a matter of fact, it's imperative. Jesus would say in Mark 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We can all understand that. There are a lot of folks in the world, in the world today that say, well, baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. It's a sign of your Christianity. Well, the Bible says that baptism is for salvation, Mark 16, 16. Furthermore, the Bible says that baptism is for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. It is necessary in order that our sins might be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And all Jesus is saying is, look, you want to follow me? You want to be in my kingdom? You need to be born again. And so when you look at what the mother of Jesus said, and you contemplate the great insight, the wisdom of her words. Think about how wise what she said was. Whatever he says to you, do it. There are a lot of folks today, they want to argue about what the Lord has said. It's not up to me. It's not my message. I am the messenger. My responsibility is to simply preach the word, teach people what the Bible says. And I believe that if people honor what the Bible says, if they put into practice the simple teaching of the Word of God, then they will become New Testament Christians. They will be members of the church that we read about in the Bible, and they will have the hope of heaven. Furthermore, they can rest assured that their sins have been washed away. Let me give you a second example of what I'm talking about. In Matthew, well, in Matthew chapter 6, again, the Sermon on the Mount. You remember Jesus talked about the importance of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven? A couple of weeks ago, well-known actor stepped out into eternity, had a heart attack, and reports were that he left some $70 million behind. Now, that's a lot of money. And he was a very influential individual. His estate is being divided up. How much did he take with him? Not a dollar, not a dime, not a penny. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. But rather the exhortation is to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Whatever you have in the bank, whether it's at Regions or First American or wherever, when you die, guess what? All that money stays behind. And what Jesus is saying is, you better be banking in heaven. You need to be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven above. The Lord would say where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, sometimes people want to quibble over this or that, materially speaking, monetarily speaking. And the Lord is saying, if you want true riches, then start banking in heaven. We would do well to make regular investments in the bank in heaven. Because after all, Jesus said, the bank in heaven, he said, rust can't corrode it. Moths can't destroy it. Thieves can't break in and steal it. So that says to me, we ought to take what he says and we ought to put it into practice. Look at verse 33. You remember what Jesus said in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen again to the, listen again to the mother of Jesus. Verse 5, whatever he says to you, do it. 
How many people in the church, universally speaking, are seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Those who were present this morning, we could have asked the question. Were you seeking, are you seeking the kingdom of God first? The word first means before anything else. Is Jesus preeminent in your life? The Lord said, you want to be blessed in this life? Then seek first the kingdom of God. It's not optional. It's not up for debate. The Lord said, you want to be a follower of mine? You want to live for me? You need to put me first. That means before mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife, whomever. The Lord is saying, I must be preeminent. I must take precedence in your life. The church today could profit by having members who are seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and when you look at scripture, the simplicity of the scriptures in John chapter 2, verse 5, the simplicity of what the mother of Jesus said. Whatever he says to you, you need to do it. Jesus said you need to be seeking first the kingdom of God. There are some folks today in the church, not just here, but all over the country, all over the world, that need to reevaluate their priorities in life. They need to, to step back, to ask themselves, what's really number one in my life? Did you know that over a period of time, the way we live, the people with whom we interact, the things that we do, those things are a reflection of what's important to us. And so, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me give you another statement made by Jesus. What about the importance of loving one another? In John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, he would say, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The Lord here is saying that as members of the body of Christ, that is, those of us who are followers of his, his disciples, we're to love one another. It's not optional. It's not up for debate. But rather, we are to genuinely love one one another. As Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, or verse 21, we are to love one another with a pure heart, fervently. There are a lot of passages of Scripture that we could appeal to and make application from verse 5. But these are just some very simplistic statements made by the Son of God. When, when I think about loving one another and the appeal that the church ought to have to the world one of the things that ought, ought to well it really ought to attract the world to us is the love we have for one another if people see a local congregation fighting and bickering and warring with one another if they see people who have hatred and malice and are constantly at odds with one another do you really think they're going to want to be a part of that? The answer is no. But if they see people that love one another, that care for one another, that share with one another, that are supportive of one another, then that says a lot to them. And ultimately, it's attractive. And we're talking about trying to make the church attractive to the world. How do we do that? By the way we live, by loving one another. And so, 
Simple statements. Another one. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about the destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming. And in that context, Jesus said, watch, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. All Jesus is saying there is that he's coming back. We understand that Jesus died, buried, rose again the third day, ascended to heaven, but the Bible says he's coming again. Jesus said of that day and hour, knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the question is, will we be watching? Will, be, will we be waiting for him? Will we be living in anticipation of his second coming? The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2, talked about looking for our blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus will one day come. He might come in your lifetime. He might come in my lifetime. I don't know when the Son of God is coming, but I know this. He will come. He will not disappoint us. He may come a million years from now. But the watchword for every child of God, whatever age, whatever time he or she is living, is this. Watch. And so all Mary is saying, whatever he says for you to do, you need to do it. Some years ago, there was a Nike ad, and the Nike ad emphasized the words, just do it. When you read the scriptures and you read what Jesus says, when he says do something, you need to do it. One final thing, and that's worship. Brother Ray mentioned worship just a moment ago in his prayer. And I think about the importance of worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is saying is we've got to have the right attitude in our worship to Almighty God. Our worship also must be regulated by his word. We're not at liberty to tamper with that. Now, Jesus said, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Remember what he said about the new birth? John chapter 3, verse 7. Marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. Same word. What's the Lord saying about our worship to him? Just do it. Do it the correct way. There are a lot of people in our world today. There are a lot of people in the religious world. They have the idea that we can tamper with or accommodate the will the wishes, the whims of people when it comes to worship, not up for debate. Jesus said you want to worship, you want the worship that you offer God to be acceptable, worship him in spirit, that is with the right attitude, and in truth, by his authority, by his word. We can understand that. Now, there's a second passage I want to share with you. Look, if you would, at the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 14, we have a second wise woman. And the wisdom of this woman is reflected in her works. We talk about the wisdom of Mary's words. But I want you to think about the wisdom of Mary's works. And this is Mary... Not the Mary we were talking about, but rather 
the sister of Martha. Verse 3, the Bible says, And being in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at a table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, a spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But listen to what Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have. She has done a good, she has rather done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Now, look at the phrase, she has done what she could. The wisdom of her works. What is it the Lord asks of us? To do what we can. He doesn't ask that we do more than we are capable of doing. The Lord, he understands, he knows the abilities or the talents that you and I possess in this life. He knows what we can do and what we are unable to do. Everything that he instructs us to do is within our reach. Many times it's not that we can't do it, it's that we choose not to do it. We neglect it. Here's a woman that was a godly woman. She was following Jesus, she sought to honor him, and Jesus said, look, she has done what she could. If you want a great epitaph one day for your tombstone, if you have so lived and conducted yourself as a faithful child of God, wouldn't it be great to just have the little statement, he or she has done what he or she could do. I mean, that's all that has to be said. Have you done, have you done what you could do, can do for the kingdom? Think, think about some of the things that we can do. I, I didn't mention this in the first point, but evangelism. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is it not the case that you and I can take the gospel to our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our classmates, people at the grocery, the gas, gas station, whatever. Is it not the case that we can, that we, that's you and me, that we can do our part in sharing the gospel? I know sometimes people say, well, I just don't know enough. Others say, I'm, I'm afraid of being rejected. Look, you can ask somebody to study with you you can give them some printed material. You can hand them a CD. There are lots of opportunities to evangelize. Invite somebody to services. Tell somebody about our radio program. I mentioned this morning in Bible class, a gentleman called me on Friday of this week, Friday morning, and asked to speak to me, and Yvette asked, asked for his identity and, and uh, asked 
what his call pertained to. I was busy with something, and he said, look, I just want to call and say thank you. I didn't have any idea who this guy was. So I picked up the telephone and uh, began talking to the guy, and he said that he has a radio program on AM 560 every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, which follows our program from 830 to 9. And he said, listen, I listen to your program every week. He said, I've been on the radio for over, for over 40 years in Memphis. And he said, I listened to your program last week, and you were talking about some things. And he said, he said you hit every point. I just want to call and say thank you. He went on to tell me that he works as an associate preacher with the Episcopal Church. So all, all I'm saying is you can evangelize. It, it takes both of us to get the message out. There are two parts to the Great Commission, the going and the sending. Did you know that every week when you put money in the collection plate, that helps to keep that radio program on the air? I, I am grateful to the elders. I, I'm thankful that they are willing to support this work. And I really believe that there are lots of people that, that listen and they're being influenced by what they hear. I was wondering, was someone this morning talking about this particular conversation? Just wondering aloud, if this man tells people where he preaches about our program, wouldn't that be something? So, I mean, you just never know. But evangelize, we can evangelize. Not only can we, we ought to evangelize. It's not up for debate because Jesus said go. And then when it comes to doing what we can, can we visit? Can we send a card? Can we make a telephone call? Let me give you a good example. Right down the road, one of the finest ladies that makes up this congregation lives, Sister Moselle Payne. Sister Payne is not able to come to worship services right now, but I promise you this, if she could be here, she would be here. If you want to brighten somebody's day, just go make a visit. Stop by. You don't have to stay long. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, talked about, I was sick and you visited me. You will leave, you will leave probably in better spirits than she. It will not only energize you, but it will benefit her. There are lots of people that we can visit, and, and you don't have to stay long, you don't have to make a lengthy phone call, but just call, write, visit, whatever. In Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2, Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have the opportunity to build up, to bear the burdens of other people. And one of the ways that we can do that, spend time with them, encourage them. These are just some simplistic things that we can do as members of the body of Christ. We talk about this, this godly lady by the name of Mary that did what she could. 
That's all the Lord's asking of us. Do what you can do every day. You can make a difference, I promise you. We can make a difference in this world. But if we're going to make a difference, we have to do it individually and collectively. And over time, think about the great contributions to the cause of Christ. You see, we are, we are the voice for the Lord, and we are his hands and feet. And so if his work's going to be accomplished, we have to take the initiative. We've got, we've got to do it. So, are you doing what you can? Have you been doing what you could? If not, could I encourage you? Could I challenge you? Step up to the plate. Think about teaching. The classes that, that are ongoing in this congregation require people to step up to the plate and teach. There, there are folks here, there, some of you folks, you have great ability. And you can teach. You just need a little bit of faith in yourself. Launch out into the deep. Step up to the plate. Be willing to teach. We need teachers. We always need teachers. We will always need teachers. Last Sunday night, the young men conducted our worship service. And Dylan and Isaiah presented lessons. They did a great job. These guys are the future leaders of the church. And think about the courage of these young men, not just Dylan and Isaiah, but the other young men that participated in our worship, to stand up and take the lead for one hour in worship to God. It took courage. And we have that courage. We ought to have that courage, individually speaking, whether young or old. But just take some initiative. Step up to the plate and do what you can. There's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. And it's found in John chapter 11. It's the third lady that we want to talk about. And the lady that we want to now talk about is Martha. You recall in John chapter 11, Jesus was informed that his, that his friend Lazarus was sick. Verse 3, the Bible tells us that the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, sent word to him and said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Lazarus, according to John, stepped out into eternity. And so Jesus then made the trip to the hometown of Lazarus. Pick up with me, if you will, in about verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead or rather had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, we talk about the wisdom of godly women, wise women. I want you to see here the wisdom 
of her words. Here's what she said. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Think about that. Here is Martha saying to Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God that has come into the world. There were a lot of people in the first century, they did not recognize Jesus as the Son of God, and yet she did. Did you know that what you think about Jesus will have a bearing on where you spend eternity? If someone were to ask you, what do you think about Jesus? How would you identify Jesus? What would you say? Think about some of the responses that Martha could have given Jesus. Jesus asked her in the long ago, do you believe this? Regarding his statement, I am the resurrection and the life. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. There were a lot of religious people in the first century. There were a lot of people that had been skilled in understanding and conveying the law of God to people that did not grasp this truth. What do you think about Jesus? You remember in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I the son of man am? Some said, you're John the Baptist. Others, Jeremiah. Others, one of the prophets. Jesus said, but whom do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. If you don't believe Jesus is the son of God, you don't have any hope. Because Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. In other words, unless you believe that I am the divine son of God, unless you believe that I am deity, you'll be lost. So what's your conclusion about Jesus? We talk about the wisdom of her words. I mean, just think about that. She believed Jesus to be the Son of God. There are a lot of people in our world today, if you were to ask them, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? They'd say, I think he's a good man. I think he was a great teacher. I think he was a, a social revolutionist, compassionate man. The list might go on and on, but when it comes to being the Son of God, they don't believe that. This woman was wise. Look, we can learn from these people. When you look back and read about some of these people of days gone by, and you think about their, their attitude, their actions, their words, their works, we can learn, we can profit from them. I'm thankful for Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm grateful for Mary and Martha, for the wisdom that they demonstrated in their lifetime. I don't care if you're black or white, rich or poor, male or female, it really doesn't matter. You can demonstrate the same wisdom that these godly ladies did. Just put into practice what we've been talking about in this lesson. It might be that you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. The passage that was read just a moment ago, Proverbs 22, 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. How will you be remembered? When it's all said and done, when life is over, when your body resides in the cemetery and people reflect on the time that they spent with you, how will you be remembered? 
What will people say about you? When, when, when your name is, is brought up in conversations, the holidays, the anniversary of your death, how will you be remembered? Did you know that you are leaving a legacy? Let me tell you how Mary, the mother of Jesus, is remembered. Let me tell you how Mary and Martha are remembered. They are remembered as wise and godly women. And one day, you can be remembered as a godly man, a godly woman, a godly young person. It's within you to rise up and be what God would have you to be. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ believing that he is the son of God? Why not be willing to be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22, 16, and then be faithful till death, Revelation 2, 10. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, but your life is not what it ought to be, could we pray with you and for you? Knowing that God will abundantly pardon, why not come tonight as we stand and sing?